Um, thank you for letting me be here this morning, for the opportunity uh, to speak to you, for, for your audience. I appreciate it. So Ephesians 4 talks about unity. And I got to tell you, when I hear the word unity, my first impression is, uh, really? And here's why. When, uh, when my parents got divorced when I, was, when I was a kid, when I was pretty young, my, my dad was really involved in the Christian church, and my mom went on this journey of spiritual discovery, we'll call it. We went to every kind of church you could possibly go to except for a Christian church. We went to Unitarian churches. We went to these religious science churches. We went to every kind of church. And I remember this one church service that we went to. It had pews kind of like this. And on the screen, we watched videos of birds and fields and flowers and stuff like that. And at the end of the service, we all stood up and we actually all joined hands like this. And we sang Rocky Mountain High by John Denver. And I remember as a kid even going, really? Because at the same time, I was going to the Christian church. And I had to just think, is that the unity that Jesus died for on the cross? That we would all be handholders? That we would sing Rocky Mountain High by John Denver? And I don't think it is. See, in John 17, Jesus is having this moment in the Garden of Gethsemane before He's betrayed, before He goes to the cross. And in this moment, he's taking time to pray, and he prays for his disciples. He prays for himself. But he also takes a moment and he prays for the believers to come. That's you and me. And I think about that like, wow, Jesus, right before he endured the cross, he prayed for us. For us. And here's what he prayed He said, May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved me just as you have loved them. And so when we jump into Ephesians 4, we've got to re- remember this. I think not only is this passage about church culture, but I think it's about personal influence for, for us, for you, for me. It's about our personal influence. And I also want to say this, and this is one of the reasons why I'm, I'm sharing this message this morning. Something scares me. Or concerns me. I'm afraid that the message of the cross is becoming irrelevant to some of my generation. To some of the generations younger than me. That it, it's not as important as it is to those of us in this room. Not that it's not irrelevant, but they think it's irrelevant. And because of that, there's a gap And because of that gap, the other thing that scares me is the passion and the faith and the wisdom that your generations have aren't being passed down to these other generations. And that is going to have a terrible effect on our culture. A negative effect. This is just a personal concern that I'm sharing and why I'm reverbing out of the microphone. See, there was a day when every single person knew how to drive a nail. Every single person knew how to sew the field. How to, how, to, how to stitch a garment. There was a day when every single person knew how to be a community. To depend on one another. To depend on God. 
And it seems like nowadays those kinds of things just aren't relevant anymore. They don't matter the way they matter to us. In fact, I have some friends, my very best friends, the closest people to me besides my family, and they don't go to church. It's not because they don't want to. It's because it's not relevant to them. So Ephesians 4, Paul's talking to the church of Ephesus. He says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Paul says, do you want to live a life worthy of the calling? Be humble. Be gentle. Be patient. And bear with one another in love. And I think, in a way, Paul's making a little jab at church culture right here. You see, churches have a tendency, and I'm not talking about our church, but church and churches have a tendency to get stuck in a routine in a mold, in a way that they do things that's only attractive to people who fit that mold. I don't know if you can attest to this, but some of us have probably been to a church service that was kind of weird. Huh? Bring that tambourine out one more time. I'm telling you. Some of us have been to churches that can be judgmental or that get strict for some reason. Why is church supposed to be strict? Some of us have been to churches that become legalistic or deeply religious but have nothing to do with the Word of God. Explain that one. This is what Paul says. You want to live a life worthy of the calling? Bear with one another with love. What does that mean? That means that we're supposed to have people around us that are different from us. That maybe even annoy us. Because Paul is telling us that we're supposed to bear with each other. That we're supposed to put up with each other in love. That we're supposed to have people around us that make us uncomfortable. So, some of us could be thinking, am I that person that people bear with in love? And you know what? In some ways, I hope that you are. Because that means you're around people that are different from you. It means you're around people that don't fit your mold. Bear with one another in love. We are supposed to be a church that is inviting to people who are different from us. Who maybe even annoy us a little bit. Who make us uncomfortable. How will, and this is what Jesus prayed for, how will the world ever see the love of God if we are a cookie-cutter church where everyone is the same? The unity that Jesus was praying about before He endured the cross was that no matter how great your and I's differences were, when it comes to the kingdom of God, when it comes to the message of the cross, we would stand shoulder to shoulder, black and white, young and old, Republican or Democrat, Whatever our differences were, when it comes to the gospel, we stand shoulder to shoulder. And what Jesus prayed for was that when we do that, the world will recognize the love of Christ in us. When we do that, the world will recognize 
that God loves them. Because we're completely different, but we stand shoulder to shoulder on the important thing. Ah, when I was in, uh, when I was in high school, there was a girl I liked. And uh, she went to a different church. This church, you wore specific clothes. You wore black pants, you wore a white shirt, and you wear a black tie. And the women didn't wear that, of course, obviously. I didn't know this, and I wasn't big into following church rules. And mind you, I had an earring and hair to the middle of my back. But I liked this girl, so I thought, I'm going to go to the church service with her. She invited me. It's the right thing to do. I walk in, and apparently she didn't like me because she thought it'd be best to parade me to the front of the church so that she could show everyone that she was being a good person by bringing Jake the heathen to church. But I remember walking in there. I'm wearing black pants and a purple polo shirt. I stuck out like a plum. And I have never felt so much judgment from eyeballs in my entire life. You could tell that I was not welcome even though I was welcome. You could feel it. And you know what I love about our church? Is I know that if that Jake walked in those doors right there with his long hair and his earring, he wouldn't feel that. Because that's who community church is. We bear with one another. Even if they have long hair and purple shirts, we'll bear with one another. Ephesians 4 Verse 4 says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul says, There is one God and Father of all. Of all. No matter how different we are, one God and Father of all. There was the old church theologian, and he said, Ah, Church people are great at mathematics, especially division. Aren't we? It's, it's amazing the stories that you hear. You go, really? Why? Why? Thank God that's not our church. But as an example, worship. You sit in a worship service and one person likes to raise their hands during worship. That's their way of surrendering to God everything that they are. And you know what? That person has style. But the people who don't raise their hands in worship look at the person who does raise their hands in worship and they go, weirdo. That guy's an emotionalistic person. He's, that's odd. That doesn't make sense. But you can turn the table because then you have people who don't raise their hands in worship because they connect to God. They look for Him in a different way. But the people who raise their hands during worship look at the person who doesn't raise their hands during worship and they go, oh, that person needs to draw close to God. And you'll even hear them, Lord, I pray that that person would uh, be encountered by your presence because they're not <laughs> lifting their hands. during." You'll hear that going on in a, in a, and you're like, really? Some people in worship love the piano and the choir, which is incredible. Some people like the guitar and the drums. None of them are wrong. But do you know what people do? They let their style become 
a way of life. And that way of life becomes a thing that creates a wall between other people drawing close to you as a person or to us as a church because we make it a style when it's not something that is absolutely mandated by the Word of God. That's my message to me this morning. That I don't want my style to become something that keeps people away from me as a person. I don't want my style to become something that keeps people from being uncomfortable and not wanting to walk through those doors back there. We should never let style become who we are. But that we would all stand shoulder to shoulder because there's one God and Father of all when it comes to the kingdom of God. I had a... a, When when George W. Bush was running for presidency, uh, Dick Cheney stopped... Uh, in Grand Junction to make a, uh, a speech. And the pastor of our church at the time was invited by their group to come and do the opening invocation. And we all thought, well, wow, what an opportunity to go pray for Dick Cheney and George W. Bush. There's going to be thousands of people there. What a great thing. Our pastor said no. And we went, Why? And he said, because if I go and I open for prayer at that event, people are going to think that this is a Republican church. And they're going to stop coming on that word alone. And I actually stopped and I thought about it and went, you know what, you're right. Because that's how people think sometimes. They can't look past that stuff when it comes to the kingdom of God. We'll let politics, we'll let styles of worship, we'll let dress or music or appearance or age or education become things that separate us in the kingdom of God. And that, to me, is disunity in the body of Christ. No matter how different we are, we're supposed to stand shoulder to shoulder. Jesus prayed for that, for you and I. And if we keep reading, Paul takes us into Christ's intentions on the cross. In verse 7 it says, But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. This part's important too. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Paul says, grace has been apportioned to each one of us. Why did he say that? I think it's because none of us have it figured out just right. We all need a little bit of grace. It's been apportioned to each one of us. But not just has grace been apportioned to each one of us. If you think about the church in Ephesus at the time, it was full of cultures that were different. And so not only is grace apportioned to each one of us because none of us have it figured out just right, but because even at that time, they were supposed to bear with one another in love because there were cultures that were different all in the same place. 
So here we have this glimpse of Jesus destroying death and sin and shame on the cross and saving us all. Paul paints that image. But then he goes on and he does this. He also goes on to give us giftings and abilities and callings and anointings so that we could reach the world, so that other people would know about the love of Jesus Christ. That's incredible. He dies so we'd have redemption of sins, eternity in heaven. He dies so that we would have giftings and abilities to give and share with the rest of the world. And what do churches have a tendency to do? They give all of that up in a desire to fit into a culture that makes them comfortable. I do that as a person. I give, give up those things sometimes every single day of my life so that I'm comfortable around the people I'm with. I do it because when I go into to places where I don't know people, I give up things, I change who I am so that I'm comfortable. It's part of human nature. But what Paul is saying is, don't do that. Don't do that. I think each generation, and maybe not even each generation, but each person, we all need to be better at reaching and meeting each other where they're at. Right where they're at. So, forgive me for this illustration because I love all the things that I'm going to talk about. But I think it's a great example. I don't know if God the Father is really concerned about whether we dress up at church or wear ratty clothes. Because neither of them are wrong. I don't know if God the Father is concerned about whether we worship to a rock and roll band or an amazing choir and an organ, and a piano. I don't think He's really concerned about that stuff. I don't think God the Father is really concerned about the fact that we stare at blank walls, or we look at a slideshow, or show a video clip. I don't think God's concerned about that stuff. I don't think God the Father is concerned about the idea that we use a sound system, or we have a really loud, boisterous preacher that nails the Word of God. I don't think God is concerned about that stuff. I don't think God is concerned about the fact that we have stained glass windows or we have clear windows. I don't think God cares about the ideal that we sit in pews or on beach balls, that we worship to drums or a bunch of kids banging around on Tupperwares. I don't think God is concerned about that stuff because the Scripture does go on to say that God the Father is concerned about the fact that you and I use our gifts for the kingdom of God. God the Father is concerned about the fact that we know and work out His salvation in our lives and share that with the world. God the Father is concerned about the idea that He endured the cross so that other people would know His redeeming love. God's concerned about that. I, uh, I think about this all the time. People are literally dying to hear the message of the cross. And what I mean by that is, if they don't hear it, they're not going to have course correction in their life. They're not going to have a change in their moral behavior. They're not going to discover the redemptive love of salvation through Jesus Christ if people don't share it with them. 
We've got to be better as church people, as Christians, whether it's together or out in the world. We've got to be better about bearing with one another in love so that other people will see the love of God. Ephesians 4, 14. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will hear all things. We will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I'm going to close with this quick story. Um, one of the first houses that Sarah and I had was in this nice little subdivision called Irish Walk. And the houses were packed together really tight. And everyone around us knew that we were pastors. All of our neighbors knew that. That's, that's who we are. It's who we were. Then we had the neighbors on the other side of the street. Exact opposite. They were not church-going folk. We never talked to each other. There was a big black road in between our houses. We didn't need to talk to each other. There was no reason to talk to each other. They partied like crazy. Please clean your beer cans up out of our yard. Those kind of people. We didn't. We lived together for almost, or next to each other, for almost two years. And my one neighbor next to us, who went to church with us, said, hey, you heard what happened to her, right? No, what happened? She was diagnosed with lung cancer. Ah, that's awful. Oh, well. I can pray for I guess that's what I can do. I was in my front yard mowing my lawn, as I always did. She used to love to sit on her front porch at the end of the day and have a big glass of red wine. And she was sitting on her front porch having a glass of red wine. And I'm mowing my lawn, and I looked over, and I'm like, ah, poor her. too bad and all of a sudden I it's like God nailed me and went you know shame on you you know about the redeeming love of Jesus Christ and you are the one person who can go over there and offer her hope and maybe even pray for her and you're going to mow the lawn and say poor her you're going to let that street divide you you're going to let your differences Stop the kingdom of God. I stopped. I shut the mower off and I walked across the street. I'm sweaty. She's sitting there and I said, Hey, Terry. Hey, Jake. I said, How are you? She goes, I've been better. She's holding a letter. It was from her doctor. Her chemotherapy was not working. And I just said, Terry, I, I heard what happened. She never smoked a day in her life. It was her mom. I said, I am so sorry. And she's like, yeah. I said, can I pray for you? And she goes, that would be really nice. Imagine if I would have just kept mowing the lawn. Imagine. Well, right before I start to pray for her, her husband pulls up. Mike, big guy. Big Mike Noctree. And I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, this could get weird. I was like, hey, Mike, I'm getting ready to pray for Terry. And he's like, oh, man, that's fantastic. So I... Pray for Terry. 
And we have this incredible moment right there on the front porch. They came to church a few times. Terry really battled with her health. A few months later, I got to do their son's wedding in their backyard when he got back from Iraq. A, a year after that, I got to do their daughter's wedding up on the Grand Mesa. Ah, She called me up about five years ago, and she said, hey, you need to come to Grand Junction because I'm passing away, and you're going to do my funeral. Okay, Terry, I'm on my way. I'll be there. We get down there and knock on their door, and we're like, oh, this is going to stink. This isn't going to be fun. Mike, Mike opens the door. We go in. We hug each other. Hey, great to see you. Uh, Terry didn't have much strength left, but she makes it out of the bedroom and comes, comes out in the living room. And I can't help but not tear up when I see her. And she goes, don't you cry for me. I know where I'm going when I die. And I went, yes, ma'am. Good to see you, Terry. Gave her a hug. She passed away. But I think about what would have happened if I would have just kept mowing my lawn? What would have happened if I would have just ignored that, if I would have let those differences separate us? And then I think about this. What would happen if all of us got on the same team like that? I see you guys out in the community all the time. You see me. We, we, some of us work together. See each other in the grocery stores. See each other at Six Points. We see each other on Main Street. We see each other up on the slopes skiing. And what would happen if we could put all of our differences aside and stand shoulder to shoulder and bear with one another in love? What would happen to each one of us personally? What would happen to each one of us? What would happen to our church? What would happen to our community? I think that's the message that God has for us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for your goodness and your grace that you have apportioned to each one of us. And God, I ask that as we go out from here, we would stand shoulder to shoulder in love. That we would be able to bear with one another no matter how different we were from each other. Lord, and I ask that you would give each one of us the strength and the courage to, to do that. To use your giftings. To, to represent your name. And God, I pray that every one of us would get to share that love that you shed and gave for us on the cross with the rest of our community. We thank you so much for our church that we are all one body, and that we're all held together by you. We thank you and bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.